Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Welcome to the Monday edition of the program. And our phone number, if you want to join the show, 833-482-5337, 833-4VALDEZ. A bunch of uh, different headlines here today. Uh, The Supreme Court says, no, we're not going to review the appeal of um, Derek Chauvin, the police officer who was convicted of killing George Floyd, Uh, He asked for an appeal. They said they will not review the case. Uh, A bunch of members of Congress are resigning. Wonder why. And uh, let's see. There's another one here that I thought was really, really good. (laughs) Listen to this. This is a good one. Uh, DHS Chief Alejandro Mayorkas is now ordering agents not to misgender illegal border crossers. Yep. Uh, Don't arrest them. Don't do anything. And don't you dare call them ma'am or sir. Uh, Mayorkas is now ordering agents not to use incorrect pronouns so they don't misgender illegal immigrants crossing the border. I love that. You got to love that, right? This came from a tweet from the Oversight Project at the Heritage Foundation. It says, we just obtained um, CBP documents directing personnel to use only woke language when encountering individuals invading the United States. A tweet from Heritage uh, revealed that Biden is now directing Border Patrol agents to use illegal aliens' preferred pronouns. You got to love that. Do not use he, him, she, her pronouns until you have more information about or provided by the individual. Isn't that something? I mean, I got to tell you, this is just beyond absurd Mayorkas's order uh, requests that border agents ignore the biological distinction between both sexes. Instead, officers have been told to submit the uh, idea that gender is more important than biological sex. And again, they just highlight this piece here. It says, if a longer dialogue with an illegal alien is occurring, it may be appropriate to ask the individual their preferred pronoun. For example... State, I would like to be respectful. What name and pronoun would you like me to use when addressing you? Avoid asking, what is your sex? Unless operationally necessary. (laughs) You know, so just imagine, you know, you're apprehending somebody. I don't know, perhaps you think they're guilty of smuggling something. Because last I checked, 
people were used as mules for drugs and all sorts of things crossing that border. And uh, you have a woman and she's walking funny, like she's got something down her pants, perhaps. And you say, excuse me, um, what do you call, you know, what would you like me to call you? And they say, oh, I'd like you to call me, um, sir. And you go, okay, are you, sir, are you smuggling any paraphernalia inside of your body, sir? And uh, they say no. And you see a bulge in her pants, but they're really a girl. And I mean, do you see how this could be problematic? When the bulge is not their anatomy, but drugs. And I'm just making an example. This is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. It really is. Well, not maybe the dumbest, but one of the, the, the top ten dumbest things I've heard. Uh, this, this made me happy. Isn't it the Daily Fetched, by the way? Dailyfetched.com is reporting this story. This just goes to show you how the wokeness of our culture, the wokeness of our government, the wokeification, if you will, of our country is becoming increasingly problematic. You've got kids that are in classrooms that have teachers that are paying more attention to making them um, wokeified than educated. And and this goes on and on. You know, today I was at a, a breakfast. A buddy of mine, um, he moved away from New Jersey and he, he works for an airline, but he was in town and he said, hey, let's grab breakfast. So I grabbed breakfast with him and he was with a couple of his other buddies. And so he's from Belize. I guess he identifies as brown or black. Um, he was there with his brother. Same thing. And another black American guy. And me. Uh, American of Puerto Rican heritage. You know, interesting mix of dudes at this table. And, or by the media standards, black and brown. And we're there and we're talking about different things. And it, it was fascinating to me. We talked about the, the war in Israel. We talked about Hamas. We talked about government overall. We talked about um, marriage and relationships. And then we talked about kids in school. And despite the differences and nuanced opinions at this table, the one thing everybody was saying was, it's really messed up what's happening in schools. And the one guy was there with his little baby. She, not a little baby. She was three, a toddler. And he, you know, she, she wasn't in um, grade school yet, but probably headed toward pre-K. And the other guy, his kids were like 9 and 11. And my kids, 18 and 22. So all different perspectives, you know, from toddlers to young adults. And we were talking about this, and, and the other guy was saying, the other day I had to sign a paper that said that, my, that when I dropped my child off at the school, that I was signing over my rights to the school. And I was like, well, that's funny. I've had kids in school, you know, for a dozen years, each one. And neither of them ever had to sign that paper. I never had to sign it, you know, for each of them. The other guy jumps in and says, oh, my gosh, yeah. You know, this happened to my friend. Dropped off his kid at school. Uh, uh, didn't drop off his kid at school because he wasn't feeling good. Kept her home that day. And he said the police knocked on his door. And were asking for the student by name. And this is, again, a minor child younger than eight or nine. And they kept saying, we want to see so-and-so. We want to see so-and-so. And I said, well, was it like a child protective services thing? Like, was there an issue? And he was like, no, there was no issue. My wife was at work. Uh, the guy's wife was at work. The, the child was home with her dad. And he said the, the, the officer kept asking for it. And he said he eventually asked him to leave. He called the school from home and said, hey, look, my kid's homesick today. And they were like, oh, let us know ahead of time next time because we, you know, we, we get concerned. He said, but the officer seemed to have a very, very serious concern. And, you know, I couldn't help but think I'm listening to one guy tell me that he signed something saying that his parental rights are suspended while the kid is in the school. And, and this is in New Jersey, by the way. 
and the other guy telling me that the cops visited his house aggressively asking for the whereabouts of a, of a, a minor child when they were absent from school because they weren't feeling well. And I was just blown away by this. And I was like, yep, leave it to the radical right-winger, right? Leave it to me to tell you you're messing up. Take your kids out of this public school. I mean, maybe not every public school is like that, but if you're in a public school in California or New Jersey where the laws are uh, aggressively and increasingly going against parents, against parents' rights, and giving more and more power to the state, you know what you've got to do to protect your kid. Keep them away from the government. Keep them away from the left within the media, the left within the government, the left within the school system, the left within the um, uh, university establishment. There's a lot going on here. And uh, we'll continue to unpack that a little bit later because the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade is coming under heat. And I also seen that they have a new version of the Nutcracker out there. We'll talk about that a little bit later as well. I also want to talk about some uh, Thanksgiving recipes because, of course, thankfulness is upon us this week as we celebrate Thanksgiving in a couple of days. And, of course, why wouldn't we be thankful for the release of 40,000 hours of January 6th footage I want to get into that straight ahead. So keep it locked right here. That's our next topic. Don't go anywhere. 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Well, thank you, Rich, and thank you for everything. I know you very well, and I have I listen, but I have a lot of people that listen, and they love your show, and I appreciate it very much. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back, familia. And I left off with talking about the thousands and thousands and thousands of hours of January 6th videotape, and... It's astonishing. It, it took no time at all for that stuff to flood everybody's timeline and and social media feeds. And uh, I'm glad that it did because I think it's going to add to a lot of the conversation as we head into next year's election. And uh, I'm going to say correcting the record on what many people think happened on January 6th. But I want to get into that with somebody who is in Congress and understands this stuff really, really well. Uh, author of a brand new book, The Story of America First, Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene. Welcome. Hi, thanks so much for having me on. You bet. So let's let's dig right in. We've got this um, this trove of video that's been released and uh, I haven't heard much from the left wing media. Have you? Oh, no, they've been covering what and telling the story that they want to tell on January 6th. Now, just to be clear, it's only 90 hours that have been released out of the 44,000 hours. Um, I, I know that the uh, archive has been mm-hmm. being built where they've been uploading these videos, but it's important for everyone to know the truth. I mean, I actually, uh, one of the first chapters in my book is about January 6th. It was the third day uh, on the job for me as a new member of Congress, and it was shocking. And we had worked so hard on objecting to Joe Biden's electoral college votes. Uh, so it was a story that I wanted to tell. And and also in the chapter, talk about visiting the January 6th defendants that in the D.C. jail um, in November what was that of like? 2021. 
Oh, heartbreaking. Uh, it was only, I had tried so many times to get in and they kept turning me away, but they finally let me in in November of 2021. And, uh, you know, I only was able to get one other member of Congress to go with me, uh, then Congressman Louie Gummert from Texas. And, and we went in and saw them and it was devastating. They were uh, being treated horribly, spending 22, 23 hours a day in solitary confinement pre-trial. None of these men were convicted. Right. Um, it was heartbreaking. Congresswoman, tell us about um, the, uh, I guess, the challenges that you face with, I, I think oftentimes when people tell the truth uh, and have an opinion and, and they're vociferous in their opinion, you, you start to take heat. And I guess that's customary. You know, they always say you, you start to take heat when you're over to target. But it seems like you have encountered an, uh, an uh, I don't know what word to use, but a ton of heat since you got there. And uh, what's that like? Why is it that everybody's um, after you? You know, that's been something that's shocking to me ever since I became a member of Congress. The media painted a picture of me and created a character that doesn't exist. And that's one of mm -hmm. the reasons why I wrote this book is uh, to set the record straight and so people could know me for me and the words that I speak and the beliefs that I have. Uh, and I think that's so important. Uh, it's also to tell a lot of stories, you know, peeling the curtain back to let people take an inside look at Washington and and tell the stories behind the headlines that they've read and, and, and seen over the past couple of years. And I think that's what's missing in Washington is transparency and I wrote this book uh, absolutely to provide it for America. You know, I think you're right. I think oftentimes we'll see the media create a caricature of somebody, um, anybody, yourself, Trump, others, um, where people will legitimately feel like they know you, they, they, they've met you, and, they, they, and whether they like you or not because of what they've seen. And I think it's a, it's unfair in most situations because I get the benefit of speaking to people, meeting them, interviewing them. But I know a lot of people don't. So if you listen to one type of media versus another, you can hear a bunch of clips that are designed to maybe embarrass somebody or malign somebody. And people get a, a feeling for people. But it's really not really the true sense of who they are, right? Oh, absolutely. And this is unfortunate. But, you know, the great thing that I think President Trump did for all of us was exposing the fake news and exposing their bias and, and the lies and, and the headlines. And, and I'm so thankful to him for that because people see through it and they realize that when the media is trying to spin thing one way, they, they definitely go looking for the truth and, and find it themselves. And I'm hoping that people will read this book. Um, of course they can order it at mtgbook.com and they're going to, they're going to find out things they never knew. I tell some funny stories, uh, some sad stories and some pretty surprising stories, um, covering the top issues that really matter most to Americans. Well, without giving everything away, cause we want people to get a copy of the book and I recommend getting two copies of the book because you know, you have Christmas gifts to give and this is a great gift an excellent stocking stuffer. Uh, but what's one of the uh, funniest stories you've got in the book? Well, um, it, describing uh, the Democrats, um, you know, I, I joked and I said, imagine uh, on January 6th, imagine Jerry Nadler trying to run out of the Capitol. <laughs> uh, one of the things that surprised me 
was, you know, how uh, really older and out of shape many members of Congress are. And I think that's a serious issue. Health is something that's important. We found that out over COVID. Um, I'm an avid exerciser and, and eat eat healthy and believe in taking care of our bodies. I think, you know, physical fitness programs in school are extremely important. And I just was amazed. I was like, oh, my goodness, these people... Uh, you know, they could they could hardly go with the Capitol Police where they were telling them to go, especially with these plastic bags on their head because they were scared of tear gas and there wasn't any oh. or where we were. So, yeah, they were shooting those at the crowd. That was what was happening with the Capitol Police. I saw that video. Now, you guys don't have a gym in Capitol Hill? We do have one, but it takes, <laughs> you know, the will for people to use it. <laughs> Excellent. Now, um, you said the website again for the book is mtgbook.com. Is that right? Yes, that's right. mtgbook.com. And before we let you go, I wanted to get your thoughts on on what happened with your uh, most recent um, resolution to impeach Alejandro Mayorkas and how some Republicans got involved and blocked that. Oh, that was so disappointing and really infuriating. Um, you know, articles of impeachment of mine for Americas were sitting in judiciary for six months and they never moved them through the committee. And after two of my constituents were killed by a 17-year-old cartel member smuggling illegal aliens into Texas, I just was outraged. So I forced them to the floor with a privileged resolution. And I couldn't believe eight Republicans voted with the Democrats to shelf the articles of impeachment, sending them back to committee. And that was so outrageous. And I'm, I'm so glad so many people called their offices and just let them know what a, a horrible mistake they made and they should have never done it. And, you know, it's it to me, I ran for Congress because we know who the Democrats are and we take them at their word and we see them destroying our country. But it's Republicans I'm often so disappointed in and angry with. Because if they actually followed through on what they claim on the campaign trail and on their news interviews, we wouldn't be losing our country like we are uh, with the Democrats. And so I believe in accountability. I didn't go to Washington to make friends with people. And I talk about that in my book. And um, I think it's I think it's up to us to save the country and stop the communist agenda of the Democrats. Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene, uh, with uh, 30 seconds to go, do you think Biden runs again? Does he pull out? Is there a switcheroo? What's your thought? I am shocked that he's president of the United States. Um, you know, they can switch him out uh, this summer, the DNC can, or the DCCC. So we'll see We'll see what happens. Um, but he's he's not doing well mentally. I agree with that. Folks, Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene, the book is available at mtgbook.com. Congresswoman, I want to thank you for being here and Godspeed to you. Thanks so much. Have a great night. You bet. Happy Thanksgiving. All right, folks, we're coming right back. Your calls and more coming up right now. Don't go anywhere. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about 
how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything, wherever you listen. So over the weekend, there was a poll that came out that showed that uh, Trump is ahead for the first time in that poor uh, particular poll. And it also shows that Biden's support from Generation Z is dwindling as his age becomes a critical issue. Now, of course, President Biden is, is today his birthday. Happy birthday, President Biden. Please take the rest of the term off. And uh, he, he made a joke about his age today as he did the um, annual pardoning of the turkeys. And I think we have a clip on that. Listen to this. It's my birthday today and they can actually sign birthdays. I just want you to know it's difficult turning 60. It's difficult. <laughs> of course, Biden turns 81. And the polls are showing that this stuff is um, is getting to him um, in terms of people. People are concerned about his age. Listen to this. Let's see here. I think that Joe Biden's really out of touch with not only the younger generation, but basically everybody. Alexandria Chung, a Gen Z voter. Um, and this reminds me of lunch, right? So I talked about breakfast. Let me talk about lunch. At lunch, I had lunch with my lawyer today. And... Um, we were talking about Biden, and she says that she says she's a, a progressive Democrat and always tells me how she doesn't like Biden. She's never liked Biden. You know, she's kind of like the Bernie Sanders crowd. And and I always try to help her out, help her along the way. It's always an interesting debate whenever I meet with her. But uh, ultimately, we were talking about that. And she was saying, look, Biden, you know, he, he was past his prime when he ran. And it leads me to believe this is why I think people people did the hold your nose vote for Biden in 2020 because the media and everybody else that was against Trump painted a picture that that they're trying to paint now that if Trump is elected, it's the end of America. Democracy is at stake and they're still doing it. Uh, Listen to this clip of audio we've got here. Uh, this is Representative Dan Goldman. And you, you remember he was uh, on the first impeachment there and he was uh, all over the place. Right? I think on the second impeachment, no, the first impeachment. And he, he was hardcore, you know, doing the dirty work of Adam Schiff for brains. And he was on MSNBC yesterday talking about how Trump has to be eliminated. Listen to this. 
But his rhetoric is really getting dangerous, more and more dangerous. And we saw what happened on January 6th when he uses inflammatory rhetoric now and his recent true social post uh, is incredibly, incredibly scary for anyone uh, that might be trying to op work in government. And um, it is just uh, unquestionable at this point that that man cannot see public office again. He is not only unfit, he is destructive to our democracy, uh, and he has to be uh, he has to be eliminated. Wow. <laughs> now, I, all I do is I, I try to make a test and and the test is and again, it's a it's a um, it's it's conjecture. But imagine if Trump were to say so and so has to be eliminated. Imagine what that would look like in the media. They'd have a field day and say, Trump calls for the assassination of whatever and whatever, whoever. Dan Goldman saying that Trump has to be eliminated to me flies in the face of our constitutional system. Just on its face. If you're running against somebody that you don't like and you think is bad, then you run against them on the merits, on the issues, do what you got to do. But for this man to come on here and say that a recent truth social post is incredibly scary for anyone that might be trying to work in government. What's so scary about Trump saying that he's going to drain the swamp, right? I, I mean, again, the real fear here is if you're Trump, a Trump supporter, a Trump attorney, the government will come after you. It's just fascinating, fascinating. I, I, I've yet to hear Republicans, and I don't want them to either, but I've yet to hear Republicans come out and say, you know, if, if, you know, if, if we get power or we're taking everybody out. No, I think they've said that they would impeach Mayorkas. I think uh, McCarthy said that um, he would consider an impeachment of Biden. But there were issues on the table, right? There were investigations that were going on, evidence pointing to malfeasance. So to me, that makes sense. This is just he is not only unfit, he is destructive to our democracy and has to be eliminated. He literally sounds like somebody out of the Third Reich. Insane. And no one checks this guy on MSNBC. No, nobody calls him out on this stuff. And it's not only him, there's more. Right? You got Michael Steele. Michael Steele's on MSNBC yesterday. And in reference to the judges, he's telling them to put Trump's ass in jail. I'm not making it up. Listen to this. It's enormously dangerous. I, I, I just, you know, I, I'm just shocked that we've allowed this to get this far. I, you know, I'm just going to use my best analysis that I can give you at this point on this situation with Trump and his attacks on the judges. Put his ass in jail. Mm. That's how you end it. That's mm. how it stops. Now, yeah, people will be mad and they'll be upset. But there is no other person on this planet, and certainly not in this country, who would be have, would be given the kind of grace that Donald Trump has been given to run his mouth the way he has, attacking the clerks, attacking the judges, attacking the prosecutors personally, threatening them. We've shown the evidence when he does that, how his base responds. And so the system is getting pulverized from within by Trump and is being pressed to the, to the umpteenth corner it can go in trying to appease him and, and allow him to be free 
while he's still behaving this way. So we're now going to police the behavior of a citizen of the United States by threatening to put him in jail without a trial, without a jury of his, of his peers. They just want to put him in jail because they don't like him exercising his First Amendment rights on the people that are trying to jail him. I know I'm preaching to the choir and I'm restating the obvious here, but it really is. This really does surprise me. I will get to tell my grandchildren, should I be blessed to have some one day, that I was alive when this got this crazy. Because in my 45 years of life, again, I'm not 60, I'm not 70. I don't remember this happening before I was born. If I was, let me know. But I don't remember anybody ever trying to weaponize the government to demonize their political opponent to this degree. Like he says, to the umpteenth degree. I think all Americans, political, apolitical, whatever, even if you can't vote, even if you're not a citizen, you should look at this and you should take exception to it. You should take umbrage and say, you know what? This is not good. No bueno. How on earth can we have a civilization, a society, a constitutional system where we're just going to demonize you before you can even run for office? I think that's why we have an electoral college. I think that's why we have elections. I think that's why we have free speech and the rest of the First Amendment. This stuff is, is crazy. Look, I, I defend Lieutenant Governor Steele's right to say whatever silliness he wants to say on television. But I'm not going to defend the idea that we should put someone in jail because we think they're bad at running for office. That's on you. Beat them. Beat them fair and square. Beat them at the ballot box. This is crazy. Anyway, we'll continue straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. America, welcome back. And um, of course, everything happening in Israel continues where there's uh, there's talk. But that's all it is, is talk about a potential negotiation for hostages. And uh, last I checked, there was a couple of hundred hostages. And there's talk about trying to release 50 hostages. There's talk about trying to release the American hostages. And, of course, they continue to beat up on Netanyahu saying you have to have a ceasefire. Okay, don't do a ceasefire. Just do a pause. And I think he's agreed to now to stop bombing for four hours per day so that they could make some moves. Uh, But I understand both sides of the story here. You know, the people getting bombed are like, stop bombing me. And, And those that are bombing are saying, if I stop bombing you, you'll regroup and you'll bomb us back. So, you know, it doesn't make sense to let up until the job is done. And I get that as well. 
And I understand that, you know, the media reminds me every single day that, you know, half of the population in Gaza are little kids. And, and it's crazy. And I talked to a guy who was in the military and he said, you know, when I was in the military, almost every single IED that blew off the legs of my friends and, and soldiers um, was a, a kid, 12 years old, 8 years old, 9 years old. They send them to put these bombs on the side of the road and they go off when the convoys, the Humvees and whatever go by. And he said, you know, war is war. And he was explaining to me, he said, you know, war is war. And it's very tough for a lot of people to realize that your enemy, the person trying to kill you or multiple people with a bomb is a child, a woman pushing a baby carriage with, with a bomb in it. Somebody dressed like a woman pressing a, uh, with a bomb in it and uh, pushing the baby carriage. And, you know, it gives you a lot of nuance. And, and I don't have all the answers, you know. And when it comes to war, I think you, you got to get the job done. But I'm also a human being. And I, I believe that we have to do the right thing with people. And, you know, I think we have to get the hostages out and come to the best resolution we can. But Biden today is at the White House and he says he believes a hostage deal is near. It's a little bit hard to hear, but listen to this. Sir, is a hostage deal near? Mr. President, is a hostage deal near? Yes, he shouts. You believe so, but I'm not prepared to talk about it. And it's it's sad. It's sad that this whole thing is going on. But I want to uh, get your opinions on this. Let's go to the phones. 833-482-5337. 833-4-Valdez. Let's go to uh, Syracuse, New York. WGVA. Charles, you're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. Uh, hi, Rich. Uh, the... Uh... There's a record in the Bible that the uh, God himself, uh, it's in Genesis 15, 18, uh, gave the land all, uh, from the Nile River to the Euphrates to the Jewish people. Uh, they give it to Abraham. And so uh, it's it's not an issue that uh, they, don't, they aren't in where they're supposed to be. They've got a deed to that land. It's and it's described. It's it's just like it's filed in the courthouse. It's it's filed right there in the Bible. Now the uh <clears throat> well Muslims don't have any written records for six hundred years after the uh after the Muslim race started in Mecca and all. Uh they it was all word of mouth. So you know how that goes. It could be anything. Uh, so the Jews really have much more uh, uh, title to that to the land, and nobody, uh, God does not want to, uh, would not approve anybody taking the land from them by any means. Thank you, Charles. You know this debate about you know whose land is it is as old as the day is long. And uh, I'm with you. I'm with you. I think um, Israel has a right to exist. They do have, if you go by modern standards, uh, the uh, Balfour Declaration, where they're allowed to be there. And there's there's dispute over that. And I, and I get that there's dispute over that and about Gaza in particular. But ultimately, I think we, we have to try and achieve some sort of peace. And I think we had 
a relative um, reprieve from the fighting and some semblance of peace in, in the years that Trump was in office. And, and I bring it back to Trump only because it was a priority of his to move the, uh, the embassy to spearhead the Abraham Accords and to get other partners involved. And I think just as there is a, a spiritual dynamic to this that you alluded to, I think there's also a diplomatic uh, dynamic here. And we, we, we have to use every approach that we've got, right? And, and ultimately, I, I think Biden really dropped the ball here in, in his handling of Iran, or I should say in his befriending of Iran, in his um, pushing away of Saudi Arabia with the commentary that he made that I think was reckless. You know, when it comes to Xi Jinping, he says, well, there are cultural differences. They have a different government than we do. They run it different. He's a dictator, you know, and, and you know, and asked about the genocide of the Uyghur Muslims, his response during a town hall, I'll never forget, it was chilling to me, that he said, well, you know, th- these are cultural differences. The fact that they want to kill the Muslims in China and that to Biden was a cultural difference. And while I guess somebody could academically make that argument, you've really got to ask yourself, is that what the president of the United States should think? Is that the position that the commander in chief should have, that these are just differences, that we're just going to allow these people to slaughter people? Um, And of course, there's people listening here that are saying, Rich, that's not our war. We can't fight every battle. I realize that we can't fight every battle, but I think we have to do what's right. And uh, straight ahead, I want to share a, a thought with you on a lighter note on thankfulness. So we'll get to that in a moment. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. And I'm very thankful. It's Thanksgiving week here. And I want to, A, say that I'm very thankful for the listeners of this program. Um, Without listeners, there's no show. And I'm thankful for the constructive feedback, the destructive feedback, all of it. The commentary, the critique, all of it. And I got a note on social media from a Vincent Dembinski. And he was an unhappy camper with me. He says, I wish you would stop dividing the country. I pick you up on four radio stations where I live. Don't think, don't you think you're hogging the airwaves? I have to ask, why can't you see that Trump is a liar and a crook and is dangerous? You couldn't pick a worse guy to be president when our country goes down the tubes. Guys like you are a big part of the problem. I've been listening to WGN radio, that's in the Chicago area, for 68 years now. I grew up with it. The station was intentionally non-political. Weather, sports, and where to go to watch the fireworks. Dumb jokes and local neighborhood stuff. You don't fit in. (laughs) Well, thank you, Vincent Dembinski. I appreciate uh, what you're saying. I always love a good dissenting opinion. And I think the Trump stuff I've talked about a million times. Uh, But what I really wanted to take away from this was how I'm thankful. I am always thankful for somebody who gives me uh, that kind of thing. I tend to be a glass half empty guy sometimes. 
Um, but I'm working on becoming a glass half full guy and being a glass half full guy. I say, I'm thankful for, for the critique because to me, it says the show that we put together, especially open phone America, where everybody in America gets to call in and weigh in and we don't filter out, uh, people who disagree We actually move you to the front of the line. So you get on right away. I think that that's a testament to why we're on WGN and four other stations in your area. And I think you should be thankful that you can get me on four stations because there's other parts of the country where you can't get me on four stations in, in the same area. Um, but I'm grateful to be on those airwaves. And Vincent Dembinski, keep listening, my man. Keep listening. Hopefully we'll find some common ground where we can agree. I don't think I'm uh, dividing the country. I think I'm uniting the listeners of the program around ideas, ideas that sometimes we agree on and ideas that sometimes we don't agree on. But either way, we're united on this program. All right, folks, coming back, hour number two. Don't go anywhere. It's Rich Valdez. Live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And uh, welcome back. It's our number two, Monday night, Thanksgiving week. And there's a few stories out here I want to share with you. Uh, one of them is a, a report coming from the Epic Times. Headline, how thankfulness may impact inflammation, sleep, and mental health. Learn about how transformative power of gratitude can boost your immune functions. We'll talk about that at the top of the next hour. I think this is actually a really, really interesting story. This isn't some um, psychobabble. This is like uh, several medical journals that have put this out. So I want to dig into that a little bit as well. And uh, in addition to the Border Patrol no longer being allowed to misgender illegal border crossers and Biden losing support from gener Generation Z, there is a story that came out over the weekend about the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. Now, you know, uh, I'm a native New Yorker, born in Brooklyn, uh, grew up on the other side of the Hudson in Hudson County, New Jersey. And I've been to a, a couple of Macy's Thanksgiving parades uh, over my, you know, my years. And always been a really nice thing. It always ends with Santa coming down right by the big Macy's on 34th Street. But this year, there's something a little different going on. This year, there's thousands that have already signed a petition against Macy's because they've now included uh, non-binary and uh, other performers and events planned for the Thanksgiving parade. Some are dubbing this a trans extravaganza with uh, two non-binary performers expected to participate in the, the nationally televised parade in New York City this Thursday. And I want to get to the bottom of that with our guest. Dr. Jamison Taylor, he's a senior fellow at the American Family Association. He also serves as the director of policy and legislative affairs for the AFA, 
uh, or AFA Action, I should say. And they handled the government affairs for the AFA. And again, the AFA represents nearly 2 million constituents worldwide as they defend families. Dr. Taylor, welcome, sir. Thanks for having me on tonight, Rich. You bet. So I want to dig into this because um, I think this is um, interesting, right? It's yet another American institution that has bowed down to the woke left. And I say that because, you know, if you were to tell me they're having um, a multicultural um, expression in, in the parade, I'd say, well, there's all in New York City and across the country, there's lots of people from varied cultures, um, not too egregious. But when you tell me that there's going to be, you know, an emphasis on non-binary or anything in that LGBTQIA plus um, spectrum, uh, I say, how many people are there like that? And I don't I'm not saying that we should exclude minorities, but I am saying it, it seems like there's a lot of attention paid to something that isn't really that big in terms of size in our country, a small percentage, if you will. And maybe it's wrong for me to say that, but that's my initial reaction to this. What's yours? Well, you know, this is not about tolerance or diversity. What this is, is about pushing an aggressive transgender agenda. You know, we're talking about apple pie, Macy's parade, and now cross-dressing dudes dancing in front of your kids on the television screen. This is very much an agenda that is meant to really normalize this lifestyle and begin to groom children to sexualize children. That's what's going on here. Because we're, I mean, we're basically talking about a drag show that's going to be occurring during the Macy's Thanksgiving parade. What they're doing is they're, they're featuring two musicals, two Broadway musicals. The first of these is and Juliet. So the play starts off with, I don't know if you know, folks may have seen it, but the play starts off with Juliet finding out that she's definitely not Romeo's one true love. In fact, what we find out is that Romeo is basically a sex addict who likes to have sex with anybody, men, women, doesn't really matter. And then from there, the musical goes downhill. The whole theme basically is that sexuality is not natural. It's not biological. It's fluid. You know, even though if you go back to the, the early days of, of the LGBTQ movement, they said it was genetic. There's no gene, of course, but now it's fluid. You know, before it was fixed and we had to, right. we had to tolerate. Right. They're born that it. way. That was the big argument. They're yeah. born that way. Born that way. Now it's completely fluid. Well, this Anne Juliet musical is about this completely fluid sexuality. And they're putting that in front of kids during the Macy's Day Parade. Now, the second musical that they're going to be featuring is called Shuck. This one's a little bit less overt than Anne Juliet. It's basically LGBTQ Midwest style. One of the main characters is a biological male who identifies as non-binary, and he plays the character of Lulu. In the end, I mean, sorry, I'm sorry I'm going to give it away for some folks, but in the end, Lulu marries a biological male, and they have kids, and the, the narrator of the musical is one of their grandkids. Now, I don't really know how that works. They don't explain how that works. Wow. Again, what they're trying to do is to normalize things that are not normal. You know, right. when, when two men get married, they can't normally have kids. That's just not how it works. We all know that. But they're putting this in front of kids on Thanksgiving Day. Parents are going to be busy, you know, making the turkey and doing whatever. And what I'm telling folks is you got to turn the TV off. You have to boycott 
the Macy's Thanksgiving Day parades. You know, it's compared to Mardi Gras and other parades, it's it's really, you know, I don't know if it's really that interesting for kids anyway. Turn it off. Take out Candyland. Take out Checkers. Whatever it is you want to do, play with your kids. Spend some quality time with your kids. Now, have you heard anything about this petition that was organized by One Million Moms, and has it gained any traction? So One Million Moms is a division of the American Family Association. They've been around for years. Uh, They have boycotts whenever you see kind of corporations go a little bit too far with their advertising or whatever it may be. One Million Moms steps up. They have almost 40,000 people that have signed this petition. It's, it's only been launched for, I think, about a week now, once basically Macy's released what their lineup would be for the parade. One million moms went into action. They launched this petition. If 40,000 people, you know, and it, I encourage people, go to onemillionmoms.com, sign the petition. That's just the first thing that you need to do. The second thing you need to do is ask why. You know, why, why is the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade pushing this transgender agenda? And if you really start to think about it, you're going to see that sexualization of kids is happening everywhere. But in particular, it is happening in public schools. Kids are getting confused. And when they go to their teacher, when they go to their guidance counselor, they're getting the advice. Hey, let's let's have a talk about why you might be confused. Maybe it's your sexuality. But don't tell your parents about this talk that we're going to have. Don't tell your parents about this presentation we're going to have in the classroom. Whatever it may be, parents are getting locked out. When you start to think about what's going on with this transgender agenda, you find it's really a Marxist agenda. It's really about separating children from their parents, and it's about destroying the nuclear family. And when you do that, you're just going to have the government and the individual, and that's Marxism. That is really the end goal that's happening right here. Another thing I tell folks, Mm -hmm. you know, Give yourself permission to be outraged because kids deserve a safe space. Kids deserve to be able to watch a parade and not have folks gyrating in front of them, dancing in front of them, basically a drag queen performance on television. They deserve to be safeguarded from that. And that's what One Million Moms is doing. That's what AFA is doing, trying to protect kids from this sexualized culture. You know, kids deserve they deserve their innocence. The other thing I would say is sign up for our action alerts at afaaction.net. There's, there's a lot going on, and it's more than just the Macy's Day Parade. You know, you mentioned uh, Homeland Security. It's, it's now basically a, a crime to misgender somebody. Right. It's also it's because of rules, really what they call it. They call it this is the new thing. I don't know if you've heard about this, but it's called non-binding guidance that's coming from federal agencies. What the agencies are doing, what the Biden administration is doing, is saying, hey, we have a, a suggestion here. It's, our, it's just our read of the law. It's an interpretation. It's not binding guidance. You don't have to do it. But, you know, if you don't do it, there's going to be a problem. But the EEOC has made the suggestion that they are now going to interpret the law to mean that if you misgender someone in the workplace, and the EEOC has authority over virtually every workplace in America. I don't care whether you're a church or a nonprofit or whatever it may be. EEOC has authority over the workplace. They're saying if you misgender somebody, that's workplace harassment. And so you could lose your job. You know, you, people, people around the country are facing a choice. Well, hey, I know this guy is really a guy. He wants me to call him a girl. 
you know, I know, I know mm-hmm. I've known Dean for years. Now he wants me to call him Diana. I don't feel comfortable doing that. That violates my freedom of conscience. I don't want to do that. Why do I have to be made to do that? That's, you know, in legal terms, that's called compelled speech. But if you don't do it, if you don't go along with the transgender agenda, that's workplace harassment, according to the EEOC, and you can get fired for that. You know, so you have that, you have the Macy's parade, you have so many other things that are happening day in and day out. People have to get involved. Like I said, go to afaaction.net, sign up for our action alerts, and we'll keep you updated on what's going on. And I know you're keeping folks updated on your show as to what's going on. The other thing I'll tell people. Well, let me just take a quick pause here and let everybody know that we're on with Dr. Jamison Taylor, uh, senior fellow at the American Family Association and director of policy and legislative affairs for AFA Action. And um, straight ahead, we're going to continue with Dr. Taylor and we're going to get his opinion on the latest products being put out by Target, uh, which are interesting, to say the least. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America. This is night. This is Rich Valdez. All right, familia, welcome back, amigos. We're discussing the attack on the family, in particular how it's being highlighted, or I should say sneakily introduced in the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade this year with plays that have uh, questionable uh, undertones, if you will. And we're having that discussion with uh, Dr. Jameson Taylor. Dr. Taylor, I I couldn't help but think of Dr. Daniel Carlton Gadgetsek earlier when you were talking about those plays that they were going to do a mini part of the play in the Thanksgiving parade. Uh, Gadgetsek was um, a sick, sick bastard, pardon the French. Uh, In 96, he was charged with child molestation after being convicted. He spent a year in prison and then went to Europe and then died there later, a decade later. Uh, But this guy was convicted of, uh, I don't know, something like 56 counts of child molestation and admitted to raping 400 boys in New Guinea. And he he was famous for saying that people had to engage in a healthy family that included something he called intergenerational sex, that the children should have sex with the grandpa and the grandpa with the niece and the uncle, and everybody would help everybody because ultimately that would bring peace to the family. And I have a clip of this. Listen to this. There is what I consider a normal family. He pushes and pushes to help mother, please. And when that happens, you have endearing families for life. If you want tender care from your children, if you want them to wipe your ass when you're 90 and you're demented, if you want them to stick around when you're sick instead of putting you in an old age, almost everybody here does and never visits them. If you want the family to stick together, you have to have intergenerational sex. You have to have intergenerational sex. Now, again, you, you mentioned the, the crazy play earlier and how it, you know, it was weird on how the, the family unit was. And um, it, maybe it's me and just my disdain for this guy. But it seems like this is what they push over and over again. Dr. Taylor. We are, we are definitely heading down a road where, you know, quote, unquote, intergenerational sex or, or pedophilia is becoming more normalized. You're seeing 
kind of a movement toward this, for instance, recently in Minnesota, where they said uh, they, they, they kind of came very close to saying that pedophilia is a protected class. They didn't quite do that, but they're having conversations about that. But they didn't legalize pedophilia. You know, we don't want to exaggerate what they did. But in states like Minnesota and Connecticut, what you're, what you're seeing are basically laws regarding child pornography have become very liberalized. You know, for instance, uh, you might get only 30 to 60 days in jail for possession of child porn. You might only get a year or two in jail for actually molesting a child. So what you're seeing is this kind of decriminalization of pedophilia. This is a very, very dangerous thing. But at the same time, you're seeing just this rampant sexualization of kids, whether it's at the Macy's parade or whether or not it's just, uh, you know, kids, toys, for instance, they have the, uh, the, the gay nutcracker that's being sold at Target. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, it's being sold virtually everywhere. Uh, you have Belk, Joanne Fabrics, Bed Bath & Beyond. They all have the, the, the basically gay pride Nutcracker. One thing I find interesting is that Joanne Fabric actually uh, one ups Target. They have the intersectionality going on with a black uh, gay Nutcracker uh, and then a white gay Nutcracker. You can kind of pick whichever one you want. Uh, but th- this is everywhere that this is being pushed. And at the same time, you're seeing a kind of sense in which um, there's a lowering of the age of consent. There's there's a lot of kind of talk about that. And, and perhaps even more important, what you're seeing is a push to lock parents out of their kids' medical records. Right. And you're seeing this in California in particular. For instance, uh, if parents object to their children undergoing a sex change operation, hormonal transition, and all that, all that kind of stuff, um, that's being treated as child abuse. You're seeing the state of California is basically allocating funding for residential treatment centers basically run by LGBTQ organizations right. in which kids are going to be kind of transitioned there without their, without their parents even knowing. So you have to start to ask again, why is this happening? Why are parents being locked out of making these decisions for their kids? Why are parents being locked out of their kids' medical right. records? We're entering a very dangerous time. Um, but, you know, I, I want to kind of, people often kind of wonder, they confront these things, what do we do about this? And getting back to Target, I can't think of Target without thinking about the word boycott. Right. Boycotts, boycotts can work. You know, we talk about the Macy's parade. Boycott the parade. Just change the channel, turn the TV off, go do, go do something fun with your kids outside, play a game with your kids, whatever it may be. And I used to think that these boycotts weren't effective, that, um, you know, just you have some grumps and grouches and are like, well, I'm not going to drink Bud Light anymore. I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm not going to go to Target anymore. And I start to study about the effectiveness of boycotts during the time of the American founding. And what I, what I saw was that when the colonists started to boycott British goods, that's when they really got Great Britain's attention. And they didn't boycott things that were absolutely necessary, like salt right. or, or water, you know, something like that. You know, they boycotted products like window sashes and tea and glass. Yeah, like the Boston you know, Tea Party. Yeah. So things have Dr. Know, Taylor, I, I don't want to cut you off, but we're going to run out of time. And I want to make sure everybody knows how they can receive the AFA action alerts and how they can help you guys while you're out there on the front lines of the culture war. So let everybody know. Yeah, great. So first go to one million moms dot com. Sign up for the petition. 
And then go to afaaction.net and you can sign up for our action alerts and, and you'll learn what's going on in your state and you'll also learn what's going on in Congress at the federal level. Outstanding. Folks, Dr. Jameson Taylor from the American Family Association. Thanks for being here, brother. You're a gentleman, a scholar, and a patriot. Thank you, Rich. You bet. We're coming right back. By the way, your ratings are up. Congratulations. Thank I had somebody. It's always nice to check. I like to see, <laughs> even if they're friends, I like to see how are they doing? Are people listening, right? That's but right. But you're, you're doing great. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, familia. Welcome back. Amigos, Rich Valdez here with you straight till 1 a.m. And I want to talk about Thanksgiving, right? Thanksgiving is a wonderful time of the year. People get together, family, all different types of personalities, all different types of food. And, and if you're like me, uh, you know, I grew up, my parents were born in Puerto Rico and, you know, we had Turkey, but we also had a pernil, which is a roast pork shoulder and, and lots of uh, very traditional, um, Puerto Rican cuisine and traditional Thanksgiving dishes. And I wanted to talk a little bit about that with somebody that you may have seen on television Chef Peter Martinez. Uh, Chef Peter Martinez was born in West New York, New Jersey, back in the 80s by his Cuban immigrant parents. And he watched his dad and his grandfather begin their journeys as cooks. And he learned and wanted to be a chef. Now, he worked in the tech world, but he moved on. And he eventually attended the Institute of Culinary Education and quickly caught the eye of uh, various professors for his talents and he graduated with top honors. His career took off and he's worked alongside some of the industry's most renowned chefs. We're talking about Daniel Balud, Gordon Ramsay, you know him from Hell's Kitchen. He's the, the crazy British guy. So he's yelling at everybody. I love him and, and many others. And he took his talents to television where he was on the food network and he was a runner up on the show chopped, which one of my daughters loves and uh, most recently, he was on TV on Fox's uh, Hell's Kitchen with Gordon Ramsay, season 19. And he's uh, a, a chef that is really, um, I'm going to say, industrious and creative in, in the way he puts these dishes together. So I wanted to talk to him about some Thanksgiving cuisine. And I also wanted to learn how this kid from West New York, New Jersey, became a top chef. Chef Peter Martinez, welcome, sir. All right. We we're going to work on getting the chef. Uh, maybe Gordon Ramsay came and yelled at him and told him, come on, get back in the kitchen. <laughs> yes, chef. Uh, as we work on getting him. And the reason I want to talk about uh, Thanksgiving cuisine is because I know that so many people, you know, there's always there's debate over who's making this, who's making the candied yams, who's making the other. Should we have a turkey? Should we have a this? And should we have a that? And ultimately, I think, you know, sometimes it's a bone of contention during Thanksgiving. Uh, but other times it's it's a relief. And. Who better than a, a chef to talk to about what we're doing? Now, I think we've got Chef Peter Martinez on the line. Chef, welcome. What's up, Rich? Thank you so much for having me, man. And uh, that was an amazing, amazing introduction. Um, just want to kind of introduce myself. Get what on, get what I is Chef Peter Martinez. Thank you for having me. 
You bet, brother. I love that. And if anybody's following Chef Peter Martinez on Instagram or the other social media platforms, uh, you'll you'll see that he does a lot of these little um, uh, social media videos where uh, he'll show you how to prepare something. And it, I love them because I think they're terrific. You, you make cooking look very, very easy, yet it's incredibly um, high end. You know, the, the dishes you your plating is is exquisite and, and you really do such an amazing job. How did you, and I, I read the bio, but I, I'm really curious to know how you went from, you know, just being a kid and being involved in the food industry, working for Whole Foods as a supervisor for their prepared foods, how you went from that to being this big top chef that people see all over America on television? Honestly, I, I, I don't see myself as this really big chef. I just see some, myself as somebody that loves food, loves to like uh, experiment with food, and, and most importantly, I like to bring everyone back to that nostalgic moment that they had, you know, with whatever dish that is that I'm, that I'm serving. Well, I can tell you that moment for me was um, New Year's Eve, I guess, or New Year's Day this year or New Year's Eve last year, where I went to the Concourse Club in New Jersey and uh, you were the chef. You are the chef there. And I had these amazing egg rolls, but it wasn't like an Asian egg roll. It was a Cuban sandwich egg roll, and it was phenomenal. Uh, tell me about how you came up with that type of fusion. So thank you. Thank you so much. Um, that, those uh, Cuban sandwich egg rolls are my pride and joy. Um, you know, a lot of my food is influenced by my Cuban heritage. Um, you know, my father was uh, uh, Cuban. My mother's Cuban. They're, they're both Cuban uh, immigrants from Cuba. And I took all the things that they instilled in me growing up and, you know, being that my father was a chef and my grandfather was a chef. And I just infused everything with a little bit of Cuban. Um, and so what happened was is that I was thinking, how can I make the Cuban sandwich better than it already is? Because to me, you know, a standalone Cuban sandwich um, is, is phenomenal. It's, it's, the, it's the salty. It has that, that, the, the right flavors. And then it's cheesy. Um, so I said, how can I elevate this? How can I make this a little bit more sexy? And, and I came up with the egg roll, which is just handheld. And, it's, and it even has a better crunch than a Cuban sandwich would have. Uh, absolutely. It's a fantastic crunch. I'm, and, and the flavor is really just phenomenal. And you talked about your dad and, and your grandfather and how you're a third-generation chef, first-generation American of Cuban heritage. And... I, I have not seen that before in watching these shows on television. How did you make it to the to the big television screen to showcase your your talents? I I, I honestly I think I just got the confidence from culinary school and 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 the great instructors that I had that instilled so much like knowledge in me about how to move in the kitchen and. I think with their, with their inspiration, and actually I won this one competition in the, in the culinary uh, school. There was this, there was this one uh, competition where, you, where they partnered up with Allagash Beer. And I won that competition, even though I was not going to go into it because I was, one, super scared and nervous because I only cooked at home, you know, chuletas right. with the family <laughs> and, and barbecues. I, I, didn't, I didn't think I, you know, I was fresh in culinary school. And, and thanks to those instructors, they, they said, man, you have something natural. 
and, and they inspired me and I won that competition. From there, once I graduated, I, I just kept doing these, these videos, these like Instagram reels about the food that I'm doing, which I am a terrible cameraman. I'm, I'm thankful for those that follow and say great videos, but I know for sure that the quality of the videos are not good, but thank you guys, you know, and, and I'm thankful for all the support. And, and that just, I just got reached out by, by the networks. They just said, you know, there's something in that guy. So, and this is a good part of the story, right? Cause I think there's a lot of people listening, whether it's, it's uh, a business that one starts or a career that takes off in a difficult field my story in broadcasting wasn't an easy one. And I know it's not easy to make it to cook alongside Daniel Balud or Gordon Ramsay. What's your advice to somebody that is looking to, to, to have that type of career as a chef? What did it take for you? How did you get past the fear and what did, where did you draw your inspiration from? Man, that is a wonderful question. Um, first of all, I like to start off by saying you have to somehow learn to enjoy that fear. As crazy as it may sound, that fear should be fueling that energy for those dreams. Um, working alongside Daniel Balud, working alongside Gordon Ramsay. I, I worked along Andrew Zimmern. I worked along um, so many of these chefs, um, and they taught me a little something every single time that I work with them. So it wasn't like I was there, you know, as, as, as somebody that's a celebrity like them or somebody that's aspiring to be like them. I was there to learn from them because I would like to be them and better. Well, I want to continue to hear about that journey and what it was like to work with some of these greats. Also want to get your, uh, your tips on what people should be cooking for Thanksgiving straight ahead. Folks, if you want to join the conversation and ask Chef Peter a question, feel free. 833-482-5337. 833-4-Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-Valdez. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-Valdez. That's Valdez with an S. across America to the liberty-loving Latino, Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, it's Thanksgiving week here on the program, and we're on with Chef Peter Martinez. Uh, you've seen him on television on uh, Chef Gordon Ramsay's kitchen, uh, Hell's Kitchen. Uh, you've seen him on Chopped and on the Food Network. And Chef Peter Martinez, we left off with you telling us about what it was like working. Uh, actually, you said embracing the fear or learning to love the fear of being in these cooking competitions alongside some of the world's most famous chefs. Oh, so that, I, I feel like, yeah, like harnessing that fear was definitely what got me through it. And also, you know, you have to dream big and you have to want those dreams and, you know, really, really face the fears of of. of really having to go through what you have to go through to get to those dreams. You know, it wasn't easy at, at no given moment. Was it ever easy? Especially when I was in, in when I was coming up in the career uh, in the culinary world that this was, this was Gordon Ramsay 
in every single kitchen in New York. It wasn't just Gordon Ramsay doing it. Right. Every, every chef was in your face. <laughs> I can only yeah. imagine. Now, let me ask you about Gordon Ramsay, because I think he's probably one of the most famous ones out there. And most people have seen one of his programs on television. Um, what was it like? Did you feel like you had to rise to the challenge to not let him down? Did you feel like he was a jerk and he was really mean? Or did you feel like he was an amazing mentor and brought out the best in you working alongside him? I, I have to say, working with Gordon Ramsay was an eye-opener. I thought that I was focused in on my passion till I see how somebody as big as him, and I mean big in the, in the sense of like career-wise and, and how he, he is the most famous and he is a true legend. He works extremely hard, even at his, in the point of his career. And that to me, just opened my eyes and, and said, like, I'm not even working, not even a quarter of what this man is doing. I got to step my game up. So what did you do to step your game up to get to where you are today? I, I had to definitely put in the work. I had to put in the hours. I had to stop complaining. I had to stop making excuses. I had to, had to stop hanging out. I had to stop letting, you know, things distract me. I had to literally zero in on my dreams. I had to, you know, all that while focusing on, on, a, on a growing family. Um, and then just looking back in the rear, you know, the family, that just made me want to go even faster forward. And here you are today. You're the, uh, the executive chef at Concourse Club um, in, just outside of the Meadowlands near Giant Stadium. And the menu is fantastic. And I, I, I feel that, you know, you're, you're just scratching the surface of, of where you're ultimately going to be with your career trajectory. What are some of the... Um, the, I guess the milestones that you look forward to achieving as a chef, you've been on TV, you've been on three different networks, three different big TV shows. You've worked with all the big chefs and you've landed in a great place. What's next for you? So thank you so much. And everyone, everyone out there listening in America, you, if you're in New Jersey, you must stop at the concourse club. We're the best rooftop in New Jersey, uh, awarded by a New Jersey digest. Not only that, I'm serving a American international fusion of tapas, which is there's something for everyone. Um, we also host a delicious brunch on Sundays that is amazing with amazing cocktails and drinks. Um, and and, and what, I, what I look for in the future, um, to answer your question, and what, I, what milestones I look for, I look for not only growing the concourse club to the best um, rooftop in New Jersey, but the best destination to see in New Jersey. Um, you know, taking it to that level will not only show all the hard work that I've, you know, that, I, that, that I've done, that I've put in, but it'll also show that, you know, that I, I'm actually ready to open up my own um, establishment with my name, whether it be with the bride company, and the concourse club's second lo second actually it'll be their fourth location. Um, they have the Bradford, which is in uh, southern New Jersey, and then they also just opened up Techo Beso in uh, San Diego. So who knows? Nice. Maybe the fourth one might have to do something with uh, Chef Peter Martinez. Outstanding. Well, Chef, stick with us. I want you to give us some uh, practical recipes and advice for making that holiday turkey and making sure it doesn't come out dry. 
and uh, everything else that you want to recommend for people that are at home listening and saying, you know, I've got one of America's top chefs on the radio and I want to know what I got to do for Thanksgiving. So don't move a muscle, folks. You're coming right back. It's Chef Peter Martinez and me, Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. America, welcome back. We've got a call from Richard in Cave City, Arkansas, on KSAR. Richard, quickly go right ahead. You're on with Chef Peter Martinez. Hi, guys. Hey, first, could you explain to me just quickly what a Cuban sandwich is? I'm so curious. You've talked about it two or three times in your on your program. Well, I'll let you Google that because we won't have enough time if we get into the sandwich. But what's your question for the chef? Here's my question. I want to cook a Virginia ham in, uh, for Thanksgiving. Okay. And I, Chef Peter, go right ahead. So for a Virginia ham, I would love, uh, you would have to nicely, slowly roast it, right? But you would, I would prefer that you marinate it in a brine of uh, celery, onion, carrots. So you make a nice brine with, uh, with uh, chicken stock and very heavy on the spices and you would let that sit in your fridge for like about 24 hours and then the next day you slow cook that that i think that'd be the best way now chef what is your best uh recommendation in uh, in a minute and a half for making a very juicy turkey the trick to doing a juicy turkey is is that brine you got to brine that turkey overnight so that all those juices sit in there in the in the in the breast and all those dry places and then you have to cook it low and slow and throughout that process of cooking it low and slow you want to always peek in there and baste that turkey so you just keep on replenishing all those delicious juices outstanding i'm starving i can't wait till thursday now, chef let everybody <laughs> know how they can find you tell them your website and um, how they can keep up to speed with everything you're doing Guys, to come and check me out, I'm on Instagram at Chef Peter Martinez. Again, Instagram, I'm at Chef Peter Martinez. Also, I have my website, thedigitalfoodtruck.com. And you can always check out my menu at theconcourseclub.com. Outstanding. Chef, I want to thank you for being here. Godspeed to you. Happy Thanksgiving to you and your family. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much, Rich, for having me. And thank you so much. It was a great, great time. You bet. All right, folks, we're going to continue with uh, your calls and more on Open Phone America. That's coming up now. We're at the top of the hour. We're also going to talk about that uh, that piece on thankfulness I wanted to get to, because with thankfulness, um, apparently now there's some health benefits to it. Plus, I'm going to get your thoughts on everything from the uh, hostage situation in Gaza between Hamas and the IDF and uh, everything that's going on in Congress. I saw a million and two videos over the weekend as they've uh, released or they've scheduled to release 40,000 hours of January 6th footage as well as 
the 90 hours that are already out, which are pretty eye-opening. So I want to get your thoughts on that, as well as the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade uh, and all of the wokeification that's going on there. So you can get your calls in now, 833-482-5337, 833-4VALDEZ, Open Phone America, coming up next with me, Rich Valdez. Don't move a muscle. that never sleeps 17 miles from madison square garden new york city it's america at night with rich valdez america's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across america and now here is your host rich valdez Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Monday night edition of the program. Welcome. Our phone number, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ is the phone number if you want to give us a call and join us. This is the third hour of the program. I'm with you straight till 1 a.m. Eastern time, and we call this hour Open Phone America. And this is where you get to weigh in on everything. And, of course, it's Thanksgiving week. We've been talking about a lot of Thanksgiving topics. Uh, a bit of a short week for many people this week as we uh, gather around the table with our favorite family and our friends and some of our least favorite family. And, <laughs> and it's going to be a grand old time. And a couple of things I wanted to talk about tonight uh, was uh, the Miss Universe concert. Um, Nicaragua won Miss Universe. And uh, the word on the street is that she's actually a woman. So Miss Universe is a woman and won, uh, unlike in July when a man won the Miss Universe contest. That was interesting. And, of course, uh, former First Lady Rosalind Carter passed away on Sunday uh, just days after uh, entering hospice care, um, just like her husband, uh, former President Jimmy Carter. So uh, our condolences to her um, and and their family. And... Uh, President Trump released a letter on how great his health is doing on today, which is President Biden's 81st birthday. That was pretty funny. And he always comes up with the best ways to troll people. He's so good at that. And uh, there's a new poll out that shows that President Trump is leading amongst young voters. Joe Biden's fallen behind Trump on uh, the key group of voters for 2024, according to this poll. And this is an NBC News poll that was released. I talked a little bit about earlier. But amongst voters ages 18 to 34, Biden saw 42 percent support um, compared to Trump, who's got 46 percent support with the young people. Now, the poll is an early warning for Biden's campaign ahead of the 2024 election. Young voters could still you know, go in either way. Uh, and this is according to USA Today. But young voters are a obviously a key voting block, just like every other one. Everybody's got to vote. Uh, the question is with them is that they're not as predictable. Now, an exit poll from NBC News back in 2020 found Biden won voters 18 to 29 by more than 20 points more than Trump. So to see Trump leading him by a couple of points 
is a huge drop for Biden. Trump's lead in this group, um, it's within the margin of error because, of course, um, it's only a two-point lead. But the, the key here isn't that Trump is leading. The key here is that Biden has lost significant support. And with Biden losing all of the support, it just it, I keep asking that question. Is he going to be the guy that runs? And if so, how does he turn it around in the next year? Now, again, I've seen a lot of retail politicians in my time. You know, you could be the worst mayor in, in, in the world, and all of a sudden you pave a few streets, you, you have a couple of good parties, you shake a few hands, kiss a few babies, and voila, you're able to scrape by because you're the incumbent. You know, and there's a lot of power in being the incumbent. Um, so I don't count Biden out just yet, but I do see a, a sharp decline, not only in his cognition, but also in his polling numbers and his ability to do the job. So we'll see if that maintains in any way. I don't know that it will or it won't. I also want to get into this piece on thankfulness. Um, like I said, this is a, an article uh, from Epic Times in the health section about how thankfulness can imp- impact physically your body in terms of inflammation. Your, it can impact your sleep and how it can improve your mental health. And I thought this was really interesting because this isn't like a mind over matter type of thing, like think happy thoughts and you'll feel better. Uh, it's actually about the transformative power of gratitude, how it can actually boost your immune, uh, immune functions and improve your sleep quality. And I thought this was uh, eye-opening. So we're going to get into that in a little bit as well. But I want to um, go to the phones because we have a few people on the line and I don't want to keep you on hold forever. Uh, let's go to uh, one of our OGs here, Gil, original Gil, uh, Manila, Philippines. Go right ahead, brother. Hello, and uh, first of all, before I forget, have a wonderful Thanksgiving. Thank you, sir. Likewise to you and yours. And uh, are you still planning on um, immigrating to uh, Florida like so many Puerto Ricans did after Hurricane Maria? (laughs) I would love to. I just, I keep keep looking. uh, Oh, well, that's been going on for a long time in Orlando. But it, yeah, it got it, it got even more with that last hurricane. Uh, but I can say that I would love to go to South Florida. I um, I just real estate prices really went up, and I think they're going to taper down a little bit, but not much because it's still a desirable place to live. And uh, the big issue now is that you know mortgage rates are so high, it may not make sense for me to make that move right now. But I don't know if it gets any better in in even the medium term uh, future. So we'll see, Gil. Yeah. Well. Uh, the reason for my call, uh, you had a guest on a, a few shows back talking about woke and mm-hmm. how it is kind of taken over. But I don't know if you noticed the uh, Miss Universe contest, which was uh, Saturday night, your time. Yeah. And uh, the new owner of uh, the Miss Universe business, which formerly belonged to Donald Trump, is a transgender mm-hmm. from Thailand. Yeah, and, I did. I saw that. Uh, she's had to file bankruptcy here in the last few days. Uh, wow. They're having a lot of cash. The countries are dropping out of her uh, new Miss Universe. And, uh, of course, the woke there is they allow transgenders. They allow married women. They allow mothers. Um uh, it, it's just uh, not 
the Miss Universe that uh, you and I knew. Uh, right. And, uh, Not even Mrs. Some of them bad. are men. Some of them are misters. Well, anyhow, uh, at least the rest of the world is not as woke as we are. Yeah, it's crazy. You know, back in July, um, Miss Universe from the um, Netherlands was was a uh, a man, and I think that's just nuts. But that's that's the world that we live in. And yeah, I know a, a transgender business person uh, took over. And now they're in, in, in trouble, but the new, um, the new owner, um, is likely going to, I would suspect, uh, is going to be, is going to drive this into the, the ground. You're right. Um, they filed for bankruptcy and while they did have a woman win, which I think is uh, hopefully a step in the right direction, it could potentially be the end for this, um, international staple known as Miss Universe. Well, uh, it's very, very popular here. Uh, uh, several of the Miss Universe over the last uh, few years for, were for, from here in the Philippines. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, Miss Puerto Rico uh, was one of the finalists, but Miss USA was not. I don't know if you noticed that. And, no, um I didn't. Contestant here was number came in number five, uh, Philippine contestant. But those things are very very popular here because so many uh, Filipinas have done well in national uh, uh, beauty competition. Now, Gil, let me ask you: Do you guys um, decorate the house for Christmas? Uh, well, you know, Christmas September one. Uh, the Christmas music, the Christmas decorations, they all go up September 1. You go into the mall, they're playing uh, uh, Dean Martin and Frank uh, singing Christmas songs. And that all starts here September 1. And nice. it's not a commercial thing. It's just the tradition here that Christmas starts. Right, you celebrate all quarter long. Now, you know, it's, I asked you because I know a lot of people like to decorate with different things. And one of the things people put out is a nutcracker, you know, kind of traditional for Christmas time. Uh, but Target has a new nutcracker that is draped and, in a um, LGBTQ flag, the gay pride flag, and is holding a trans flag uh, with the new um, nutcracker. I was wondering if you guys uh, picked that up at your local Target and brought one home. No, I haven't seen anything like that. But I don't, you know, with my health situation, I don't get out very much. Yeah, you're probably better off. I don't know that a gay nutcracker is going to help you um, with your health situation, but it might add a little holiday cheer to to your decor. Gil, thank you, sir. And again, if I don't speak with you again, have an excellent and blessed uh, Thanksgiving. I got my turkey already. All right, thank you now. Bye-bye. <laughs> All right, Gil. Thanks a lot, brother. All right, folks, we're going to continue with the rest of your calls and more straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S.
America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, America, welcome back. And there's a new report out on the cost of happiness. And uh, they give a magic number. We're going to get to that in the next segment as, long, as well as that thankfulness piece I've been talking about. Uh, but I want to talk about this, this lawsuit, right? There's a lawsuit that Elon Musk has uh, just filed because of a report from Media Matters. Now, Media Matters is run by um, David Brock. He's a Clinton guy, and he uh, started uh, Media Matters after, I think, he left the Clinton administration. And it's a very progressive, left-leaning media organization that, in effect, exists to destroy conservatives. And uh, they have a an MO. When you just go on their website, you'll see everything is not a down-the-middle report of anything. It's It's literally a smear job of anything that they disagree with politically, culturally or ideologically. And it's interesting. So uh, Elon Musk did follow through with his thermonuclear lawsuit against Media Matters. And that was put out today. Um, Yeah, was it today? Yeah, yes, today. It was filed today. So um, apparently a bunch of uh, investors have now left the platform because they feel that it was unfair to have their advertising placed along anti-Semitic ads and that Elon Musk is a, or their their ads appeared next to anti-Semitic content on the Twitter platform now known as X. And Musk accused them of essentially cooking the books in their quest to to drive advertisers from the platform to destroy his company according to the uh, lawsuit that was filed in federal court today. The uh, legal action comes from companies like IBM, NBC Universal, Comcast. Uh, they said they're no longer running ads on the Twitter platform after the Media Matters report that their ads were appearing next to material that praised Nazism. The Media Matters report also said that ads from Apple and Oracle were placed next to anti-Semitic material on the platform, And on Friday, the organization claims that it found ads from Amazon, NBA, Mexico, and other companies next to white nationalist hashtags. But X says in its complaint that Media Matters knowingly and maliciously portrayed ads next to the hateful items as if they were what typical Twitter users experience on the platform, uh, alleging that that's not the case. The uh, complaint also says that Media Matters manipulated algorithms on the platform to create images of advertisers' paid posts alongside racist incendiary content. The pairings were manufactured, inorganic, and extraordinarily rare, according to to, uh, the Twitter um, lawsuit. And the CEO of Twitter, who is uh, Linda Yaccarino, she said in a statement that Twitter, now known as X, uh, used media used by Media Matters was the sole account that saw some of the ads next to the anti-Semitic posts from the report. So uh, here's a quote: it "says If you know me, you know I'm committed to truth and fairness. Here's the truth: 
Not a single authentic user on Twitter saw IBM's uh, Comcast's or Oracle's ads next to the content in the Media Matters article. Only two users saw Apple's ad next to the content, at least one of which was Media Matters. And she says data wins over manipulation and allegations. Don't be manipulated. Stand with X. So the lawsuit is filed, obviously, because uh, Musk had threatened to, to sue them, and he finally did. So we'll see how this thing plays out, but let's go to the phones. Uh, we've got Tim in Sharon, Pennsylvania, WPIC. Tim, you're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. Well, thanks, uh, Rich. For, uh, well, you just summed everything up that I was just going to tell you. Uh, so, um, yeah, What are your thoughts on how it? How far that goes. Um. I think it's about time that uh, that uh, Elon is doing this. I, I think it was an attorney general in Missouri who actually kind of started the lawsuit. Um, but don't you kind of think it's time that um, the media is held accountable for this kind of stuff? Oh, yeah, listen, I, I, I'm all for it. I'm all for it because this is and it's something I brought up earlier in the first hour. Uh, we were discussing um, with um, Marjorie Taylor Greene about how the media can create a caricature of a person, right? For example, Donald Trump. Most people that hate Trump have never even met Trump, let alone even been to like a rally of his or even watched a full televised rally of his. And yet, if you string enough clips together, take them out of context and try to portray him in a certain light, you'll see a man that says, there's good people on both sides. And, and instead of talking about the historic preservation people and the people that were against it, you know, they make it look like he was talking about uh, the, the Confederates and the people that ran the woman over and that type of thing. And ultimately, if all you're fed through not just, you know, um, one media company like NBC News, ABC News, but m- most and MSNBC and CNN, and then their digital assets as well, you you start to form an opinion. And, I, and the, honestly, the same is true for Biden, right? I've never met Biden. Uh, I can say I've seen extensive video of him. I listened to his speeches in full. I've never really been impressed by the guy. Um, so I, I form an opinion based on the information I have. But I can say that I'd love to meet him and interview him and get his side of the story but ultimately, the media portrays things the way they want to portray them, and people form an opinion based on that, and it's because they're given information that isn't fair, isn't balanced, it's biased, and it's malicious. And that's the result, where you have people saying that Trump needs to be eliminated and thrown off the ballot, and he violated the 14th Amendment, and all these crazy things, yet he's winning all these lawsuits. So um, I appreciate you bringing it up, Tim, because... It makes a ton of sense to me why Elon Musk is suing, and I agree with you. The media needs to be held accountable. Tim and Sharon, Pennsylvania on WPIC, thank you for the call. Big shout-out to WPIC. And, folks, we continue with the rest of your calls and more. What is the price of happiness? Well, there's a survey that gives a number, and uh, it's an interesting number. So we'll talk about happiness, the cost of happiness, and thankfulness. It's Thanksgiving week. I'm Rich Valdez. Don't go anywhere. No hair, no care, and live on the air. 
It's Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, America, welcome back. We're getting to your calls momentarily, but I wanted to share this with you because this is an interesting one here. This is the piece on happiness. And this is in thehill.com. The price of happiness is getting higher. More than half of Americans think money can buy happiness. And the average person puts the price tag at just over a million dollars, according to a new poll. The study by the financial planner called Empower found that 59% of Americans believe money can buy happiness and that it costs around $1.2 million. Just 17% said financial happiness can be defined by a certain net worth. Around two-thirds equate financial happiness with an on-time bill payment and being debt-free. The Empower Financial Happiness Study surveyed 2,000 people uh, in America above the age of 18 from August 7th uh, through August 14th, and margin of error was 2.9%. So something that the pollsters found was that the, the word that first comes to mind when people are asked about financial happiness is freedom followed by security and relief. The average salary uh, Americans said would make them happy was about 285000 a year. Uh, the men's price point was 381000 much higher than the average of 183000 for women. There was also, again, this is what they were asking for, not what they were making. <clears throat> Fascinating. Uh, there was also a big generational divide on average, millennials listed uh, their highest salary as 525000 a year, while Generation Z said they were happy with 128 k per year. And Gen X came in at 130 k Baby boomers said 124 k Now, about 70% of the respondents said having more money would solve most of their problems. I believe a lot of that. Uh, most, not all. Nearly a third, 32%, said gaining $15,000 would have a meaningful impact on their lives, while 42% said $25,000 would actually make a big difference. The vast majority of Americans, 73%, reported feeling financial stress during times of high inflation and high interest rates, and a growing share of American workers believe they may have to delay their retirement if it even happens at all. Isn't that sad? I think we all work our whole lives for, for retirement, right? When I was a kid, I remember going, I want to be retired. I want money to come in or have enough money in the bank to just do nothing, do what I want to do. So that's the price of happiness, $1.2 million. But um, very interesting. While some people think it's a million dollars to be happy, uh, the Epic Times Health has this piece out on thankfulness and how being thankful actually would make you healthier. And that's something money can't buy. And I, I want to get into that as well, but I'm going to check in with you guys on the phones first. Uh, let's go to Kim in Shields, Michigan, listening to KDKA. Kim, you're on with Rich Valdez. Tell me, do you think uh, $1.2 million is the price of happiness? No. Um, for me, I think that's, kind of ridiculous because if you can't be happy just living you know lower than that i don't think you'll be happy once you get 1.1 million 
Um, I, I am more aligned with the people that said that they can pay their bills and be comfortable and not have financial worry. You know, that's where I fall. If I don't have money stress, I don't, you know, I'm a very grateful person. And, uh, so I don't look for a mil- one point one million. No, no. <clears throat> yeah. All right. But yeah, well, I, I I wouldn't mind one point two million dollars. And trust me, if you gave me one point two million, I think I'd be very happy. Does it mean that it's the price of happiness? I'm with you. I think the jury is still out on that one. Now, tell me, um, what's your thought on the uh, Macy's Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade? Um, this whole stuff is so ludicrous with the homosexual nutcrackers at Target and the Macy's parade. Um, I don't know. These these people, the LGTP, LGBTQ people, are 4 to 5% of the population. That means like out of every 100, 95 or 96 are normal people like us. The 4 or 5 are in that different category. And I mean, it Joanne's getting into this and um Target's been in it knee deep in it for a long time, but um this stuff and I'll tell you, there's a couple cures for it. One of your get, your guests with the Family Foundation, he said, yeah. I think boycotts work. And I I do believe in boycotts. I've been boycotting Target for about eight years now. And Walgreens, I had to go in there once because I needed photos real quick, and Myers didn't do them. But I've been boycotting Walgreens, Target, I Bed Bath & Beyond for like seven, eight years or more. But this is just, it's also ludicrous. And there, I don't know what would possess Macy's to focus their Thanksgiving parade on LGBTQ trans people and all that, um, except if they have a woke board of directors. Uh, that's all I can think of, because I like Macy's. This is another store that might end up on my, um, my uh, boycott list, but... Um, I did want to, oh shoot, um, I did want to say something, um, oh shoot, I lost it. Uh, <laughs> well, that's all right. Oh. I agree with you uh, that boycotts work, and at least in, in the, the short term, I don't know if they work long term, we'll see. I mean, I, I think we saw Target lose a ton of money, but did it work? Because they didn't pull the products off the shelves, all that they did, then they put them back out, uh, and now we have this new product that's out. And I guess they're wondering, you know, is this going to hurt us right before Christmas or do they care? I don't know. I mean, these are the same companies that are telling people, no, if people come in to rob us blind, just don't do anything. They're the same ones that are closing stores, yet still making these same moves. It leads me to believe that that they're not really focused on their business model or maybe they're in the business of losing money. I don't know. To me, it seems like um, they're looking at it as the cost of doing business by uh, integrating this uh, minority group of, of, of our population into the, and I'm not saying they should exclude them. I'm just, I think, you know, they have a right to sell what they want to sell and I have a right to say what I want to say. Right, Kim? Yeah. I remembered what I wanted to say. The one thing that'll fix this is a change in politics. You didn't see all this kookiness when president Trump was in it. It's gotten really bad in the last three years with Biden. What do you think? I agree. I think everything, I, I wish there was an indicator 
right? I know Biden likes to come out and say, Bidenomics, it's working, and whisper and all his funny stuff. But ultimately, there's not an indicator out there that's that's telling me anything that that prospered or improved under Biden. He broke things badly and quickly when he came in. And now as some of them are, are beginning to show signs of improvement, he tries to tout that as a success. Like, you know, we've seen inflation go down for X amount of months in a row. Well, again, we saw inflation a lot lower than it is right now, but by more than half just a couple of years ago. So ultimately, um, doesn't look good. Uh, I think people are going to continue to pay through the nose until we can't. And I don't see the inflation coming down anytime soon, Kim. Yep. Um, and what about all this kooky stuff under Biden with the tranny and all his administration? Um, a lot of that will go away when pre- it, when it got willing President Trump went, wins. You know, we, yeah, I, I think you're right with uh, not that it'll go away, but I think right now the government is an active participant in promoting these agendas. I think uh, any change in leadership to somebody who's not focused on actively uh, promoting an agenda of, of queer theory or or uh, gender ideology in in the classroom, uh, we're going to see a marked improvement in, in how kids are learning um, because they'll actually be forced to, to teach them actual uh, academic uh, topics and not the social and emotional learning part, which they seem to be very focused on. So good point, Kim. Thank you for your call. I appreciate it. Big shout out to everybody in Michigan. And uh, folks, we return to your calls and more. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Congratulations on this amazing show. I know you've worked so hard in the industry, and nobody deserves it more than you do. So I'm happy to see you really succeeding here. It's awesome. America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. It's Thanksgiving week here on the program, and uh, again, I'm very thankful for everybody that listens to the show, calls into the show, shares an opinion, goes online and drops a comment on the social media posts, and uh, whether it's a positive one or a negative one, I don't care. Uh, I'm just happy that you're engaged and um, and having the discussion. And uh, Epic Times Health has this piece, I mentioned it earlier, how thankfulness may in- impact several things, mainly inflammation, sleep, and mental health. And... Uh, some of the findings are interesting that pessimism and negativity are notorious fun killers, making you about as welcome at a party as a skunk at a garden soiree is how the article opens up. But recent research implies that these killjoy mentalities actually can wreak havoc far beyond simply dulling your social life. Evidence links the opposite mindset, one that embraces positivity and thankfulness to actually fighting disease and nurturing good health. Gratitude, for example, they're saying lowers inflammation. And this is according to research. They're saying that regularly expressing thankfulness 
lowers the biomarkers of inflammation. According to a study published in the Journal of Brain Behavior and Immunity, uh, found that thankful thinking might make you less swollen in different parts of your body and reduce inflammation. The randomized uh, control trial found uh, that middle-aged women, 61 middle-aged women, that were asked to journal about gratitude every week performed way better than the other half of the group that was asked to just journal in general. Interesting, right? Uh, they were described, the journal group, the, the gratitude group was instructed to describe and thank people in their lives. Participants in the control group received a descriptive uh, neutral writing prompt. After six weeks, the gratitude group showed significant reductions in inflammatory markers. This research contributes to a growing uh, group of literature on reinforcing relationships between positive emotions, pro-social behavior, and psychological responses related to physical health. The findings also build on the uh, previous research that suggested that gratitude journaling can improve psychological factors related to cardiovascular health through the exact um, same way of just journaling about thankfulness. Now, they don't know exactly how this works, um, but one theory is that gratitude may enforce relationships between positive emotions, social behavior, and physical well-being. And uh, another study in the journal known as the Behavioral Sleep Medicine Journal it found that people with higher scores on a gratitude and appreciation test tended to experience longer, higher quality sleep. The researchers um, came up with the conclusion that this could be because gratitude reduces depression, which can impair your sleep. And here's a quote from that. Highly grateful individuals have lower symptoms of depression, which in turn leads to fewer pre-sleep worries, resulting in better perceived sleep quality. And a 2020 review of 19 scientific articles confirmed a strong relationship between gratitude and improved sleep. So isn't that interesting? And the third part of this is that thankfulness improves your mental health. And, you know, obviously we have a crisis that's continuing to grow. It's getting worse. In 2015, you had 19% of American adults uh, reported to be depressed compared to almost uh, 30% now in 2023, according to the Gallup uh, poll foundation people. So um, some researchers are suggesting that gratitude could help combat depression and anxiety. And uh, I find that to be fascinating. I can tell you my own career, being very grateful whenever I was uh, given a chance to be on the radio, I was always happier. I was very grateful and I was very happy uh, because I, I, I absolutely love to broadcast. So very, very interesting and uh, there's a whole analysis of 64 different randomized cl uh, clinical trials that found gratitude interventions increased a patient's gratitude, improved their mental health and their mood, and reduced anxiety and depression. So think of that as you're uh, pondering what you're going to do this week. Anyway, folks, we get to your calls and more straight ahead uh, in the speed round. Don't go anywhere. This is America night with rich valdez
at night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Let's go to Linda, Albany, New York, WGDJ. What's your thought on giving? Oh, thank you. Um, thanks. Happy Thanksgiving. Me and too. this is by Churchill that I read where what you're giving gives you a living, but what you're willing to give away gives you a life. Wow, that is profound. Churchill was so eloquent and really nailed it on so many occasions. And it's true. Life is ultimately about living the life, not making the living. And I think we lose track of that, but it's a great point. Linda, happy Thanksgiving to you. Uh, Sarah, Bedford, Indiana, WBIW. What are you thinking about Elon Musk? I tell you what, I hope he wins. The Democrats are low down to do that to him. Remember when they bought all those seats at a Trump rally and just had a bunch of no-shows to make it appear empty? And Mm -hmm. uh, real quick, uh, I'll tell you what, happiness would be being poor financially but living in a spiritually healthy nation, and happiness is listening to you at night. Happy Thanksgiving. That's very kind of you, Sarah. Thank you. Happy Thanksgiving to you and all of yours. I appreciate that, and I agree with you. Uh, Let's go to Ken. Lansing, Michigan, WILS. What are you thinking about the Middle East? Well, Rich, that's what I originally called about, but I'm going to change the subject because I'll get to that on another night because we're talking happiness now. Uh, Sure. I'm a retired gentleman. I live by myself with my two dogs, which are like children to me. I own my house. I don't don't know anything. I don't have a credit card. I don't own nothing. I got a lake in my backyard, wildlife all around me. And you know what? If people have to put a certain money amount out there, before they can define happiness or feel happy. I feel sorry for them kind of people. If you've got Mm -hmm. kids that love you, food in your house and friends, that's, that's what life's all about. My friend, you have a great Thanksgiving, Rich. Thank you, Ken. God bless you, brother. I appreciate it. Same to you and yours. And uh, let's go to Chris Cumberland, Maryland, WCBC. Chris, what's on your mind? How do you feel about Joe El Baboso Biden? Well, here's the first word. A joyful heart is good medicine, but a broken spirit dries up the bones. So, yeah. uh, but uh, Do- Donald Trump, I think he's strong. He's got his mind. I think uh, Joe Biden is failing. He's he's struggling. I think that we need to stay strong and get that border closed up. If nothing else, it's about fentanyl stopping that stuff from coming into our country and watching who's coming into our country. But I think we're at a time where the pinnacle where we need a strong president. We need a good businessman. And I think he did a good job before. We got to keep our eyes on Israel. There's a time piece of the Bible, and um, there's a lot going on. A lot of good conversations to have. Elon Musk, that's a good conversation. But God bless you, man. I like your program. I think it's great. And uh, yes, uh, I don't know if 1.2 million dollars gonna make anybody happy because if you get it, it goes hmm. just as money's easier to get rid of than to get it. So I agree with you, Chris. Thank you for the compliment and um, happy Thanksgiving to you and your family. Uh, I agree with you. Uh, I would love to have the 1.2 million, but ultimately it's a mindset and we have to have that, that joyful heart that you just mentioned. That's really what our spirits need. Uh, Folks, that brings us to the close of the program, but you keep listening on the station you're listening to. There's more programming coming straight ahead until the next time, or as we say in Spanish, hasta la próxima. Take care, good night, and God bless America. I'm Rich Valdez.
the Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.